knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. This is the 67th episode of the podcast. So thank you for listening, for subscribing, for leaving a rating and review on iTunes. Those things are much appreciated. I really do want to extend a thank you if you've done that already and encourage you to do so if you haven't. It only takes a second and it really helps get the podcast in front of more ears. This week we're going to talk about camping. Why talk about camping on a fly fishing podcast? Well, a lot of people who fly fish camp and there's a lot of reasons for it. It could be economics. It could be tradition. It because you like camping. It could be because that's the only option where you were going. All of those reasons have been excuses or legitimate rationales for me to go camping in the years that I have been fly fishing. And I think there's a lot of things that camping brings to fly fishing. So to kind of illustrate that and to talk about that, I want to share a few anecdotes. The first has to do with a particular spot in Maryland and a remarkably cranky gentleman who yelled the words, number four. He said number four with a delight unseen up until this point in the conversation. Number four, as it would have it, was the campsite furthest from where we requested to spend the night. We paid our $20 and quickly left the office. Driving past more desirable tent sites, heading further and further away from the stream, I swear I could hear that old man laughing. Friends and I had patronized this particular campground numerous times. The gruffness of the proprietor was usually mitigated by the low cost and close proximity to the creek. The creek was filled with trout. So these excursions were purely about fly fishing. The wild brown trout made for a challenge, and the stocked rainbows kept things pretty busy. Every once in a while, a brook trout of unknown origin would pop up. We were ideal campers, early to bed so as to be early to rise. No fireworks, booze, or fisticuffs. In and out. The campsite was the means to an end. You've probably seen campers who bring chili pepper lights to decorate their site. Usually such festooning is the piece de resistance to other varied and sundry decidedly uncamping items. 
mini fridges on generators, boom boxes, and dogs that can't shut up being some of my favorites. Once, on a camping slash fishing trip in New Hampshire, I had the privilege of quote-unquote roughing it a few sites down from some Boston Bruins fans. Now, I love my friends from New England, but there is a particularly abhorrent vocal frequency achieved when there is an unholy marriage of alcohol, sporting events, and Boston accents. I was certain that all three were in play because I could hear the Stanley Cup play-by-play. Ah, nature. Assuming that you're indeed in some public campsite and that you've managed to get a night's sleep free from the ruckus of inebriated and or candid neighbors, waking up in that tent knowing that fishing is on the docket is a great feeling, and here's why. Everywhere, including damp waders, is more comfortable than your first night of sleeping while camping. And the only thing between your present state and fishing is coffee. After said cup of coffee, which of course could taste like boiled ashtray and still be divine, and getting geared up, all you have to do is walk to the stream. That's it. No drive, no morning routine. Breakfast can be finished on the stream. Smelling awful isn't going to put the fish down. And that's the joy of camping streamside. You can hear the water, smell the wet rocks, and rest assured that there are fish just a few yards away. I hope that age, children, and maybe even having means, haven't totally discouraged me from camping. A hotel means a hot shower and a bed that usually doesn't have rocks or roots underneath. A hotel means I don't have to buy a pack of hot dogs and deal with lighting a fire. A hotel means Seinfeld reruns and heat or air conditioning. Both have their place, and for me it means tapping into each in moderation. But you're not with the fish anymore when you get a hotel room. The stream isn't within walking distance, let alone earshot. Instead of emerging from a sleeping bag and waking up with the woods, you have to drive there after the comforts of modernity. Camping allows for some contemplation as well. Staring into a fire can be cathartic if you're alone, or it can be a catalyst for real conversation if you have company. And I can't stress this enough, you are right by the fish. That might all sound crunchy and philosophical, but if you've experienced it, you know that it's true. On that day, years ago, Mr. Cheerful messed with our regular. For no other reason than spite, he put us at number four. Number four. A phrase that will live in infamy for my friends and I. It was almost like we lost some innocence on that day. We drove up to that campground full of youthful exuberance, optimism, and sunny dispositions of young men leaving suburbia behind to commune with nature. We left with that broken, disillusioned, and questioning feeling. Well, maybe that is a little bit of hyperbole, but that guy was a jerk. That was from an older article on Casting Across called The pros and cons of camping, and I still stand by it today. I don't camp as much as I used to, but when I get to do it, I really enjoy it. I do like being able to find a spot that's right by the stream. You kind of have that feeling that that stretch of water is your stretch of water, especially if you get someplace backcountry and get further away. You can find a riffle or a run or a pool and set up your camp close to it, and you can watch it. And then that anticipation of fishing into it as soon as you please. You might not even need to get dressed yet and you can fish in the pool. There's something special about that. And then to be able to leave a bunch of stuff at your campsite and walk upstream and fish and then come back and have food and go downstream and come back and have food and maybe even take a nap if it gets hot or if it starts raining, you can retreat under your tent. Those are awesome things that you don't get if you just park and walk in or you're staying somewhere off-site. So being able to do that is a lot of fun. I also think that there's a lot of benefit to doing it as far as getting up early. This might even be using kind of the negative aspects of camping to your advantage. I am not at the place in life where I want to stay up 
to all hours of the evening. Furthermore, I wake up very early, but there was a time when this wasn't the case. And so for me, camping meant it gets dark at eight o'clock and in a time before cell phones and iPads and things like that, I had to go to sleep. You could talk for a while on the fire and there's absolutely some nights where that stayed up late and late and late and just doing that. But by and large, once it gets to nine or 10 o'clock, it's time to turn in, especially if it's cold. That really has a way of wearing on you. Even if you're close to the fire, it really kind of does a number to your body and it makes you just want to get somewhere inside and dark and warm. And so you go to bed early. What does that mean? Well, you get your eight hours of sleep, 10 hours of sleep or whatever it might be. And you wake up right at the break of dawn after waking up probably three or four times before that in the middle of the night and you're ready to get out of that sleeping bag. Now, the second night's a different story. I'm not sure why that is. If it's that your body is just so wiped out after a night of poor sleep and a day of doing all sorts of stuff in the woods that that second night you sleep better, but that first night you wake up and the last place you wanna be is in that tent. You wanna get up, you wanna get dressed, you need that cup of coffee, you wanna put something in the frying pan, and you want to get on the water. So camping actually forces you to get on the water when the getting's good. And even in the wintertime, depending on where you are, I mean, there's some bugs that start moving first thing in the morning. And you get to take advantage of the full day. So having a streamside campsite, all four seasons, can be fantastic. There's a lot of things that you're able to do. and The inverse is even true. Not just winter camping and fishing in the morning, but fishing late into the evening or fishing into the nighttime. You're not having to wrap up at 10 or 11 and then get in your car and drive somewhere. You can fish until you're done fishing and then just roll into that sleeping bag. You leave your waders laid out, kind of like a snake shedding its skin in front of the tent flap and slide in and fall asleep. Obviously, there's a lot of camping things. I have a large tent and a small tent. I like the large tent if I have the luxury of a large campsite or a flat campsite that is kind of a more defined area. I like my small tent if I have to do it in the backcountry or I have backpacked in. I like the large tent if I'm with another person, especially if it's a person that's not my wife. I like the small tent if I'm by myself. I have the camp stove and I have all of those fun little things that go with it. I have the sleeping pads and the chairs and everything that fits for the car camping where you drive up to a site and everything that goes into backpacking. And it's amazing. All the things that you love about your fly fishing gear, you start to find the more and more you camp, there's all those fun things in the camping gear as well. But usually, and I would say nine times out of 10, that stuff's directly related to your comfort. So there's an extra special joy about finding gear you like because it's not about making a fish happy. It's about making you happy. There's something to be said for that. So that's kind of the more traditional camping. You have a tent, you have a campsite, or you have a backpack full of stuff and you hike up into the woods. But there's another kind of camping. And there's a kind of camping that actually I do a lot more of than that traditional tent camping. And that is car camping. And I have a little anecdote about that as well. And it starts with bears. And we all know that bears can't open car doors. And even if bears could get into a car, a black bear couldn't do it so fast that we wouldn't be able to start the engine of the car and escape. And a black bear wouldn't hang onto the roof like James Bond as we swerved down the mountain. And at that point, I could close my eyes and try to get some sleep. But then the thought popped in my mind. What if I had to go to the bathroom? After that, my eyes were open for quite a while. We had driven hours and hours from suburban D.C. to a weird and wild part of the Mid-Atlantic. It's mountainous. 
It's old mining country. Logging roads wind along rivers and up steep valleys, and it's easy to lose track of if you're in Maryland, West Virginia, or Pennsylvania. And it's rural, with a capital R. Rural also meant big rivers. There were plenty of fine trout streams only a short drive from home. The vast majority were just that, streams, creeks, runs. I love those streams. Every now and again, it's nice to be able to cast, though. More refreshing is to cast without thinking about being surrounded by trees. In that part of the country, you do have to get a little bit rural to find these big trout rivers. It was so rural that the first two campsites were on roads our little Toyota Corolla couldn't navigate. Brown signs with A-frame tent logos promised opportunities just down the path, but the paths were equal parts mud, roots, and tire-eating holes. And in the darkening skies over a thick canopy, we opted for another option. The whole point of the adventure was trout. Trout from this remote river. Hypothetically, with every mile we drove away from civilization, we'd see less anglers. One thinks of these things. Not the lack of cell service. Not the roads unfit for compact sedans. Not the bears. There are bears everywhere, and that's a big part of being outside. These bears were brazen in their behavior towards humans. The omnipresent sign said something to the effect of, quote, these bears are approaching everyone, deal with it. It was mildly unsettling. Majorly unsettling for your angling companion who is terrified of bears. Although the bears never got us, we didn't escape unscathed from wildlife. Getting ready to settle into our sleeping bags on reclined Corolla seats, we cracked the sunroof a few inches of ventilation. No bear was going to get in that. But a bug did. This wasn't a bee or a mosquito. It was a golf ball with wings. Dropping through the crack, it hit my open sleeping bag flap with a buzzing thud. In the darkness and in my panic, I flipped the bag closed. Now, this cicada-slash-scarab-slash-cockroach was in my cocoon with me. I flailed around every available inch of the Corolla. We never did confirm the bug was actually gone. But every second I spent scouring the car with the door open was a second my buddy was risking the bears coming to get us. I conceded defeat and resigned myself to having eggs laid on me during the night. There were noises all night long, and frequent passing cars raccoon or possum or mountain folk or whatever. Probably bears, but I could always hear the river. It was just downhill from the car. Eventually, it put me to sleep. Exhaustion, physical and emotional, had a part in it. The sound of the river wasn't just white noise that drowned out irrational panic. It was also a positive reminder that we were somewhere wild, a little weird and good. That's the sound that promises fishing in the morning. That's the sound that makes long drives, sedan seats, and insect attacks worth it. That's the sound that means trout, at first light, only a few steps away. That article is called Bears, Bugs, and Bows, and it kind of shares some of the triumphs and the tragedies of car camping. Now, I absolutely love sleeping in the back of a vehicle. Every car that I have owned, I have been able to sleep in in a relatively easy manner. My Subaru Forester was great for it. Now I have a Mazda 5, which is like a mini minivan. We got it so that we could fit all six of our family members into a second car that's not our minivan if we needed to. But when all the seats fold down, I can go head to foot without my head touching the front seats and without my feet touching the back. I'm not a particularly tall guy, but it's nice to be able to do that. And when I get in there all cozy with a sleeping pad and a sleeping bag as a base and then another sleeping bag on top of that, and then a sheet kind of covering me to create some sort of uh, disturbance from view, like I don't want somebody walking by and looking at me, I guess it's a little bit unsettling to think that I wouldn't know if somebody was standing there looking at the sheet that was over me and, you know, getting all of their weapons and torture devices and lockpicks ready. 
but it still makes it a little bit easier to fall asleep when you can't see a face right outside your glass. I know I'm really talking up this car camping thing, but I'm telling you, I put a sheet over me to just kind of break up everything that's around me. Another couple of things that I really like to have when I'm car camping are a screen that fits over my sunroof. I cut a piece of screen material for repairing your windows and I have that fit perfectly in my sunroof. That way in the spring, summer, fall, I can leave my window open on the roof, my sunroof window, I guess is what nobody calls it, but you know what I mean. And it allows for airflow so the inside of my car doesn't get all condensation filled and stinky. And I like to have everything that I need within arm's reach. So all I need to do is slide up into that front seat and I can drive if I'm not right on the stream or I can turn the car on and get a little bit of heat before I get dressed or whatever it might be. Now, if you want a podcast about car camping, if you go to Rob Snow White's Fly Fishing Consultant, I think he has an entire episode on it, like 45 minutes to an hour. And I can probably attribute some of my knowledge and appreciation for car camping from having conversations with Rob and some of the other guys I worked with at Orvis almost 20 years ago now. I can't imagine that that didn't play an important part in my discovering the joys of camping for free in Holiday Inn parking lots and in Walmart parking lots and other places like that. I've done it in pretty much every place I've fished. I've spent a night in the back of my car and it's quick and it's easy and you can roll in super late at night and roll out early in the morning and it's a real convenient thing to do if your back can handle it. I know if you're maybe over 60, you're thinking this is the least exciting thing that I could do, but if you have a big SUV, you can probably throw a twin mattress back there and if you're someone who likes to save money, then that might be a little bit more palatable if you don't mind using the restroom in a very creative way than paying for a hotel room. As long as you're being quasi-legal about it, there's a lot to be gained from sleeping in your vehicle and having everything you need right there and really focusing just on fishing. Now, as I mentioned in the first article that I read, there are times when I want to be in a hotel. If I'm really traveling a long way, I don't want to sleep in my car. I do want to sleep in a hotel, especially after a long day of travel, especially if I don't know the area. However, if I'm close by and I'm just doing one night, there's a pretty good chance that I'll be sleeping in my car. Do you have any exciting fly fishing slash camping stories? I'd love to hear about it. You can leave me an email at matthewcastingacross.com, post a comment under the show notes of this podcast on the website, or just chirp on social media. I'm interested to hear what people do. That's always exciting to me. And like I said, that's how I discovered doing something that was a lot easier than setting up a tent in the middle of the night. This week on the website, the first article that came out was called Fly Real Balance, Tale of the Tape. Now, this was a really good article. Both, like, I appreciated writing it because it made me think through exactly some of the thoughts that I kind of had in the back of my head, but I wanted to be able to verbalize. And as I've said before, I think that's a really important way to kind of get your mind around what you believe or, or what you know. And this is all about finding a reel that weighs the right weight that balances with your rod, not just from some finger test. And the finger test matters. And I would say in about 75% of the circumstances, it's going to be the way that you figure out if your reel is the right weight with line on it, of course. You don't want to find the perfect balance reel, quote-unquote, and then put line on it because then it's not going to be balanced anymore. Not that backing in line is heavy, but it does weigh something. If you don't know what the finger test is, you can read the Fly Reel Balance article. 
But I also talk about ways you can figure out if you need a little bit more weight and how you can add a little bit more weight or in a little bit more extreme situation if you need a lighter reel, what that looks like. But more than that, I talk about how there are some circumstances where fly reel weight doesn't need to have the kind of balance that we traditionally think of, of finding a spot on your cork and finding how it balances perfectly. High stick dead drift nymphing, that is one where I think a heavier reel actually can be beneficial. But I know different people have different perspectives, but that's the awesome thing about fly fishing. Like so many other activities, it's all about your preference. There are some really wrong ways to do it, but as long as it's comfortable and you can do what you want to do, I think that's what matters. So I have some ideas to help you figure out what might work better, which could be as easy as switching reels from one rod to another that you already own. And there's a few modifications that I mentioned. Uh, Real quick, in that uh, article, there's a picture, and I also put this picture on Instagram, and it's a behemoth reel with, I think it's a scientific angler's sink tip line that was fishing on a river last week. And the rod on it is a Sage VPS. And that rod is probably something I bought in 2000. Anyway, it was a rod that I really loved to cast, but then I switched to a really lightweight, fancy reel probably 15, 16 years ago. And for some reason, I stopped wanting to fish the rod so much. Well, I get this Reddington Behemoth, and it paired well with it just for what I wanted to use. I use this rod for light warm water fishing and heavy trout fishing. And so I wanted a reel with a drag, and of all of the characteristics of the Reddington Behemoth, a drag is certainly one of them. So I paired them together, and the rod came alive. I think that this is a little bit heavier reel than my last one. I don't think that. I know that. And it made the tip super sensitive, both for casting and for mending. It just made the rod feel like it felt a long, long time ago for me. So it's kind of helped improve my casting and my enjoyment of a rod by just switching the reel up. And I've talked about how you can do that by changing lines and how a new line can really make an old rod come alive. I think finding a reel that could be just a quarter of an ounce or half an ounce more or less than the reel that you have on your rod can really change it up. Now, if you aren't a expert caster or your casting stroke is different than mine, and note, I'm not saying I'm an expert caster, but if you're learning to cast, this is not going to be something that you're going to notice as readily. But if you've been casting for a long time and you're very, very, very familiar with how a particular rod casts, making these slight adjustments to the weight of the reel can really change the way a rod feels to you. So I would experiment, and I put some tips on how to do that on that article. Fly reel balance, tail the tape. Second article is called The Living Seam. I spent some time in the woods last week, and... Everything was so incredibly quiet and so incredibly gray, with the exception of the water. And it was a really cool contrast, and thinking about the bugs and the fish and the rocks and the water itself. So this is not the kind of article I usually write, but I felt like writing it this uh, week. So the living seam. This week's recommendation is the Reddington Behemoth. Now, the Reddington Behemoth is a reel that virtually everybody is aware of, partially because it looks so stinking cool. It's a cast reel, and that allows it to have some really wild porting and a really giant drag knob. The casting doesn't make for the giant drag knob, but it has an enormous drag knob and a 
rock solid super heavy duty drag for the price coming in between 100 and 130 bucks i think for the different models starting in a four or five and going all the way up to 11 12. now i don't have an experience with the 9 10 or the 11 12 but the other three models four five five six and seven eight are great reels I have seen people fish that 7.8 in salt hard and no complaints. And then the 4.5 and the 5.6 are great as well. The 5.6 especially, I think, is where this real series shines. Nothing against the other models, but this is the reel that I have the most experience with. And I do think it is your best bang for your buck when you're talking about the freshwater fish that might be challenging your drag, whether they be larger trout or they be warm water fish. And so this is my light smallmouth rod and reel combo. This is the reel that's in the bottom of that. And I really enjoy it. Comes in some fun colors. Reddington makes great stuff. So reddington.com, I'll put the link to the behemoth on the show notes of this podcast. But I can't say enough good things about this reel. And then Reddington customer service is second to none. Great people. Good stuff. I would recommend you checking it out. And now it comes in orange. So who doesn't want an orange reel? It's great in hunting season. You can know that your reel is helping you stay safe for whatever that's worth. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com where you'll find more info on this podcast and three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. Join Captain Justin Leake and Meredith McCord for the best fishing action along Panama City Beach. Tune in to Chasing the Sun every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. When you go out there and the fish are where you think they are, any one of these casts could be the bite. It's the most exciting fishing that I know right here at Hawks Cave. Oh, that's awesome. Experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.